Hey, this is Brendan Gersall from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Awesome, church. Well, hey, I am so honored to be here with you today. Thank you so much for uh, being, being the church in this season. One thing we always love to say here at King's Church is that the church isn't a place it's people, right? And we know that from no matter where you're tuning in right now, all over the world, you are the church right now. You're not tied to a location. You're not tied to a place. You are the church. We are the church. And that's been such a blessing and enrichment in this season that we've been leaning into. And I just want to preach to you just, to, again, continuing that summer of encouragement. I want to leave you feeling better than I found you today because I believe that's what Jesus does. I believe he's an encourager. He's an uplifter. He's the one who lifts our head and strengthens our weary feet. So that's what we're going to do here together today. You're going to be glad you're here. I really think so. I believe that God has a word for you in this season, no matter where you're at. But I want to talk to you about quitting, all right? And I know quitting isn't super encouraging, but I want to talk to you about quitting and giving up and throwing in the towel, all right? Have you ever, have you ever felt like quitting and giving up? Maybe you more than felt like it. Maybe you've done did it, all right? Maybe you have quit and you've given up and you've thrown in the towel at some season in your life. Because I, well, here's what I know. It is tempting to give up when things are tough, isn't it? It's when things are hard, when things are difficult, that we're tempted just to give up and throw in the towel, right? Maybe it's quitting on your diet. Maybe it's quitting your gym membership. Maybe it's quitting some resolution that you had to change. But we quit when things get difficult. It's hard. It's hard not to sometimes. And quitting has negative connotations around it, doesn't it? Like nobody gets inspired when you start talking about quitting. So it's dangerous to preach about quitting, okay? Because it's not inspirational. It doesn't make anybody feel good. No one gets inspired when you start talking about quitting. And people rarely quit something when they're winning right? You probably never in your life quit something when you're winning. That's just not the way, that's not the way the world works. Like musicians and athletes, like people who write really successful TV shows, none of them quit at the top of their game, do they? They always wait until the wheels are starting to wobble a little bit and things are starting to fall apart. And that's when we quit. We kind of get out while the getting's good kind of thing. And listen, I know that when I was growing up at my house, like I, I remember when I, when I think of quitting and, and dropping out and throwing in the towel, this is the first thing I think of. When I was growing up, my house was, was the neighborhood hangout spot after school. As soon as kids got out of school and all those buses like went up all the little side roads, I lived in like a really rural town, all the kids from the neighborhood just descended on my place, all right? And I would like to think that it was because I was so cool and everybody wanted to be around me, but really my house was just kind of in the middle of the neighborhood and it was the shortest walk for everybody. Like if you just started walking, my house was kind of where you met. It was a path of least resistance. So it had nothing to do with me, but so many kids from our neighborhood would gather at my house every day. As soon as school was out, everybody was there. On the weekends, everybody was there. And we would just, you know, play all the games that the kids do using our imaginations. We didn't have as much technology back then. We had to play outside and roll around in tires and potato barrels and things like that, you know, and everybody would gather at my house. But there was this one friend that we had that was there every single day. And it didn't matter what game we were playing. It didn't matter what we were doing. There was just kind of this collective understanding amongst our group of friends that we had to let this guy and he will remain nameless because this is the internet and I don't want to get in trouble here. I want to protect his innocence. But there was a guy that we all knew that we had to let him win a certain percentage of the games or he was going to get mad and quit and take his toys and go home, all right? You guys remember that. You probably, maybe, you, maybe you know an adult like this, right? At least we were, we were kids at this point. We were playing these games, and it would only go so far 
before he would freak out and have a moment. And I, can, I can vividly remember him like storming off down the street and like screaming and like he'd be so upset he was crying sometimes. Like if we didn't let him win a certain amount of the games, then hey, he was gonna freak out and he was gonna go home. And we'd, always, we'd always chase him down and we'd always like say, oh man, please, please come back and please like we want the teams to be even, don't mess it up for us. And we'd talk him into coming back so that five minutes later he could just quit and freak out and go home again. We do this every single day, I'll tell you that. And he, he would always come back every day, the next day, hoping that he could win, hoping that the circumstances would be different because listen, none of us like to lose, do we? Like the reason we quit anything ever, the reason we throw in the towel, the reason we give up is because we don't like to lose. And we all know that quitting isn't good, but we, we still do it all the time, right? Maybe it's something as simple as quitting on a diet. Sometimes it's something as, as significant as giving up on our hopes or our dreams or our aspirations or what it is that at one point in our life we believed God had for us and God had spoken over our life. Maybe, just maybe, you've been tempted to give up and throw in the towel in this, in this season. Like, Let's be honest, 2020 has been a rough one, hasn't it? Like, let's just be real in church. Like, 2020 has been unpredictable, to say, to say the least. And there's been a lot, there's been a lot that's happened. It's, it's crazy to me to think that we're only in July right now. So much has been packed into this, into this, into this one year. And there's one, one of the highlights, though, of 2020 for me, one of the uplifting moments has been all the awesome memes that have been shared online in this season. Anybody like those memes out there and talking about how crazy 2020 is? I've got some of these here for us today. I wanted you to, I wanted you to check out. Um, yeah, this one's from, from The Office. Michael Scott from The Office. Remember this? Time Traveler. What year is it? Me. It's 2020. Oh, I don't think so. Like if, I've, if I've got a time machine, I'm going to go to any other year probably except for 2020. All right. Skip, skip that one if you've got a time machine. Uh, he, oh, here's another one from The Office. Kevin from The Office. Remember the scene where he made this big pot of chili? My plans, a big chili cookout. 2020. All over the floor. Everywhere. Messed up. Disastrous. All right. Gotta love The Office memes. Here's a, here's a Seinfeld. This is a classic, right? George Costanza. I proclaim this to be the summer of George. This was supposed to be the summer of George, right? Like any plans we had for 2020 have been thwarted and uh, destroyed. I really, I really like this next one. Me being prepared for 2020. I'm invincible. Nothing can stop me. 2020. Shunk. <laughs> right in the, the, the one little spot it could have hit. That's it. Hopefully that's not too graphic for somebody out there today. Here's, a, here's one more. I like this one. Uh, our good friend Matthew McConaughey, right? January 1st, 2020. June 9th, 2020. And that's kind, of, that's kind of been the story of our, of our lives this year, hasn't it? Like, it's just been this crazy, kind of bonkers, kind of insane year. And uh, you know what? Maybe you started out 2020, and maybe you were just so passionate and so into your spiritual health and just felt like, man, nothing could stop you. And, and you know, God was going to do amazing things in your life. And, like, you were just so in tune with the Spirit, so in tune and, like, in tune with your spiritual temperature. But then as 2020 went on and life got real and things got really crazy really, really quickly, all of a sudden some of those things didn't matter as much as they did before. Maybe, maybe you just have been tempted in this, in this last few months to say, you know what? I'm not even going to try anymore. I can't go to church the way that I used to. I can't can't worship the way that I used to. I can't be with people the way that I used to be. And maybe I'm just not going to try for a season. Maybe I'm just going to, maybe I'm just going to give up. Maybe I'm going to throw in the towel. And listen, if there is a grace in this season, if there's been a grace during COVID, it's that the church has had to learn how to rely 
fully and completely on our relationship with Jesus Christ, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the days, the days are gone, at least for now, at least for this season. The days are gone where we can come to church and we can borrow from somebody else's spiritual fervor. No, now it's we are the church. Now we're living the church out in our daily lives. You have full, complete, unrestricted access to the God of the universe, the God who made you, the God who spoke you into being, the God who put the cosmos into place. Like you have full, unrelenting, complete access to that God. And no one has ever been more responsible for your relationship, for my relationship with Jesus, other than me, myself, other than you, yourself. It's on us, church. We've had to learn how to, how to feed ourselves and depend fully on a relationship with Jesus. And listen, the grace, the grace here is that God is doing something amazing in every single one of our lives. Such an opportunity for us to grow, such an opportunity for us to develop our spiritual skills and our spiritual, our spiritual muscles. We cannot miss what it is that God wants to deepen in our relationship with him this year. And listen, Pastor Brent preached last weekend about the dangers of holding on to the past versus moving on in the future, right? Like if we hold on too tightly to the past, we're gonna miss what it is that God has for us in this season. And uh, listen, I was listening to a TED Talk the other day. Does anybody, does anybody listen to TED Talks anymore? I feel like, like 10 years ago, TED Talks were super popular. No one talks about them anymore. Maybe you don't even know what a TED Talk is. Google it and you'll find out. It's technology, entertainment, and, uh, and design. It's ideas worth spreading. Essentially, there are these little talks, little sound bites, 18 minutes or less, and there's these really compelling ideas. And I watched one by a lady named Angela Lee Duckworth. She's a psychologist. And just to boil it down for you really quickly, her talk and what she said, that she decided as a psychologist, she wanted to study people and individuals of all ages, all races, all backgrounds. She wanted to study uh, some different groups of people to see if she could predict successful individuals. Are there consistent factors in an individual's life to predict whether or not they'll be successful, no matter what their field is, no matter what their socioeconomic bracket is, like are there consistent factors in an individual's life that can predict future success in their lives? So she started studying kids and adults of all ages. She started looking at these super challenging settings. She went to West Point Military Academy, which is you know, probably one of the most intense places you could go with real rigor, with real discipline. And she started looking at the cadets and studying the cadets at West Point to see if she could predict which ones would stick with the training Training and then which ones would drop out. They even went to the National Spelling Bee, all right, which doesn't sound super exciting, but they studied the kids that were in the National Spelling Bee, and they wanted to see if they could predict which ones of those kids would advance the furthest, which ones would make it the furthest in the competition. They also looked at teachers and really rough, really difficult, really high-risk neighborhoods, and they wanted to see which of those teachers would actually last the year, which ones would make it without pulling their hair out and quitting, but then which ones would be successful in, in improving the learning of their students and improving their learning outcomes. And then they also looked at private companies and salespeople and sales jobs and things like that to see if they could predict which ones would keep their jobs the longest and which ones would make the most money. In all of those different contexts, Angela Lee Duckworth, what she and her team discovered is that one characteristic emerged above all others as a significant predictor of success. And you know what? It wasn't social intelligence. It wasn't good looks. Thank you, Jesus. It wasn't physical health. It wasn't even, it wasn't even IQ. You know what the one consistent thing was that was a significant predictor of success across all of those ages and socioeconomic brackets? It was something that she called grit something she called grit. And this is, this, is how she defined, this is how she defined grit. Sorry, go for it. I'm messing up my team here. Grit, this is how Angela Duckworth defined grit, is passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. 
Grit is sticking with your future day in, day out. Not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon and not a sprint. Grit is living life like it's a marathon and not a sprint. And what she discovered was that, that talent doesn't make you gritty. Because a lot of times we would think that someone would be successful because they're talented. What she discovered in her research is that oftentimes talented people didn't have the grit it took to be successful. They could be talented, but they didn't have the grit to follow through. They didn't have the grit to, to meet their goals. They didn't have the grit to actually do what they said that they would do. They relied too heavily on their talent rather than on their consistency. And so actually she said that talent was inversely related to someone's success. It didn't matter how talented or gifted they were. It mattered how gritty they were. It mattered how much passion and perseverance that they had, how much stick to that they had. And listen, you know what that tells me? You can be the most talented person in the world. You can be cutting edge. You can be the best of the best, but that's not gonna be enough to advance you to the next level of growth. Listen, you could be, you could be a pastor. You could be the most spiritual person in the entire world. That's not gonna be enough to get you to the next season where God wants to take you. It's going to take passion and it's going to take perseverance, right? As a pastor, this really struck me and this really challenged me because, listen, yeah, okay, of course, it's science. Maybe it's a little nerdy. Maybe it's not for everybody, but here's, here's what I know to be true, all right? Whenever I, whenever I discover anything in the world, I'm a pastor. I put it through the Jesus filter, I call it. Like, I, I try to look at, okay, what does this say in relation to how God made me, how I believe God created the world, what the scriptures have to say. And you know what? When I read the Bible, I've never found the word grit in there anywhere. I mean, you can, you can challenge me if I'm wrong. Like somebody send me a passage this week, put it, in the, put it in the chat right now and tell me where you found the word grit in the Bible. I've never found it, but I have found words like perseverance. I've seen words like passion. I've seen words like endurance. And you know what? I'm just going to give you a little, a, little, uh, a little nugget here, okay? This isn't a part of my sermon. This is, like, this is like the equivalent to the McDonald's bonus fry you find in the bottom of your bag when you're done eating, okay? Faith and science are not opposed to each other. Sometimes we think that faith and science have to be separate. No, no listen, they, they work really well together. They don't, not only do they not contradict each other, they actually complement each other very, very well, all right? Faith and science are not, are not enemies. So when I see a scientific experiment like that, to me, science has only ever proved the flawless design of a supreme intelligence that has my best interests in mind. So when I read something like that, I think maybe grit's not in the Bible, but I've heard about perseverance somewhere before, okay? Hebrews chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, crack it open to Hebrews chapter 12. And listen, in this season, we've been praying every day at 1228, based on Hebrews chapter 12, 28, we've been given an unshakable kingdom. But if you go back to the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one, look what it has to say and keep this kind of grit theme in mind, all right? It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And check this out. Let us run with endurance, the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. I love that. Run with endurance. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When the going gets tough, 
we run with endurance. How? By, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, by focusing on the prize, the initiator and the perfecter of our faith. They said, you know, I'm, I'm reminded, I read that, I'm reminded of the words of the old hymn, Because He Lives. You remember that? Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He Lives, all fear is gone. Sing it at home. Because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living just because He lives. You are because He is, church. Jesus died so that you may have life. Jesus died so that you may run with endurance. When we get tired, when we get worn down, when we get weary, he says, turn your eyes on me. Remember, remember what I did. I love this, I love this bottom verse down here. It says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. Listen, 2020 has been rough. It's been insane. It's been difficult. But guess what? You're not dead yet. Jesus went as far to die on your behalf so that you can have life. We've been through the ringer, absolutely. I don't care what you've been through, like all over the world, you've, you've been affected by this season, by the year 2020, but you are not dead yet. If you're listening, you are not dead yet. I heard a preacher say one time, if you're not dead, God ain't done. And he was right. You are not dead, church. Somebody say amen in the chat right now. If you're not dead, God's not done. He's got more for you. There's a work that he's still doing. We can run with endurance. It doesn't matter what we've been through. It doesn't matter what we're up against. It doesn't matter how much fear, how much worry, how much anxiety is pressing in on us in this season. If you are not dead, God isn't done. He's got a plan for you. Grit is looking at your life like it's a marathon and not a sprint. It's fighting the it's fighting the urge to play the short game, all right? And listen, I have, I have, you, you may be shocked to know that I've never run a marathon, all right? I know you thought I had, but I actually haven't. And, but I'm told when you do run a marathon and when you're training to run a marathon, like the first thing you've got to learn is, is pacing. The first thing you've got to learn is how to build your endurance, right? When you're running a marathon, it's not a sprint. So if I come out of the gate and I'm just going to run it as fast as I possibly can, like I'm going to be dead by the third mile. I've got to learn how to pace myself. I've got to learn how to think of my life. Grit is learning to think of my life as a marathon and not a sprint. It's about resisting the urge to just think about the now and think with the end in mind. That's what grit is. Grit has the future in mind. Grit sees the bigger picture, all right? Doesn't get focused on what's in front of us right now. The short game says, hey, you know what? You can give up on that. Just, just focus on what feels good right now. Grit says, no, no, no. Let's do something that's going to matter in the long run. Let's do something that's going to make a difference at the end of everything. Listen, every area of our life gets better when we apply this principle. Think with the end in mind. Run with endurance. Try saying it, try saying it like this, all right? Grace is our pace. Grace is our pace. When it comes to running, when it comes to you know, training for a marathon, when it comes to surviving this season, when it comes to stoking your spiritual intensity and caring for your soul and monitoring your relationship with Jesus and growing it and building spiritual muscles in the season, then grace is our pace, all right? We don't have to come out of the gate sprinting. We don't have to strive. We don't have to worry. We don't have to struggle. We don't have to hustle. We don't have to do it on our own. You don't have to make it. You don't have to rely on your own strength in the season. You rely on the grace that's already been extended to you, the grace that Jesus has already spoken over your life, the grace that he's already freely given. Listen, I don't know about you, but this is good stuff. Like, I'm, I'm feeling better already, all right? Grace is our pace, church. Grace is our pace. And then continue on here in Hebrews. Look at, look at chapter 12, verse 5. Check this out. Grace 
is our pace. And then in verse 5, have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. And as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. That's huge. He's treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, this is huge. It means that you are illegitimate and you're not really his children at all. If God doesn't discipline you, it means you're not actually his child at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. All the fathers said amen, right? We just do the best we can. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. It hurts. It sucks. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. A gritty person, church, learns not to despise the discipline of the Lord. Listen, this is not the discipline that happens when you're in trouble. It's not the discipline that stems from, from misbehavior. It's not discipline that comes from a place of, of, of anger or a place of punishment. This is the kind of discipline that helps us grow. This is the kind of discipline that, that nourishes us. This is the same kind of discipline that I use with my kids when I'm forcing them to brush their teeth and to eat their stinking vegetables, all right? You know what? They don't always feel like brushing their teeth and eating their vegetables. Why do I fight with them to do it? Why do I require them to do it? Because I believe in the heart of of my hearts that I know that it's going to be good for them. It's deeply beneficial for them to brush their teeth and to eat their vegetables. Once they get older someday, they're going to thank me for that, all right? If they don't want to look like a pirate with rotten teeth and scurvy, they've got to brush their teeth and eat a piece of broccoli once in a while. I know that as their father, okay? And discipline says I'm going to ask them to do what is best for them. I'm going to nurture them and help them to grow even if they don't understand. A gritty person, a successful person, a wise person learns not to despise discipline. Verse 8 said it. If you're not disciplined, if the Holy Father of whole, the, the God of the universe isn't disciplining you, then you're actually not his child at all. If God really loves us, of course he's going to discipline us. And you know what? I know that that is easy to say. I know that's easy to sit here and say like, yeah, like it's a good thing when God disciplines us. It's a good thing when, when bad things happen to us, but it's a whole other thing to actually internalize that and believe that. Listen, church, discipline reminds us that we have a good father. Discipline reminds us that, that God wants what's best for us. Some of, the, some of the difficult things we go through are things that God wants to use to mold you and make you into the person that he designed you to be. And maybe that can only happen when you're facing adversity. Maybe that can only happen when you're up against it. Maybe that could only happen in 2020 and what you hit in 2020 and what came against you in 2020. Like maybe you can't be the person that God wants you to be if you don't receive the discipline in this season. Wise people, gritty people, intelligent people do not despise the discipline of the Father. It reminds us that he's good. It reminds us that he loves us. So grace is our pace, but the next thing is no pain and no gain, baby. No pain and no gain. You didn't know that was a biblical principle, did you? You just thought that was from the gym. No, listen, no pain and no gain. It says it right there in Hebrews 12. Absent, apathetic 
fathers are the ones who don't discipline their kids. That's just, that's just truth. They, they, parents who don't discipline think they're sparing the discipline out of love, but they're actually doing it out of selfishness. They're doing it because they want to be their kids' friends. Listen, a loving father corrects, he guides, he challenges his kids so that they'll grow into strong, healthy, well-rounded, resilient individuals. I heard, I heard uh, Pastor Andy Stanley and his wife Sandra one time, they were, they were teaching on parenting. This was years and years ago, and I've, I've never forgotten it. They were talking to parents, and they were saying that oftentimes parents won't discipline their kids because they want to be their kids' friends. They won't discipline their kids because they really want their kids to like them, and they're afraid, all right, if I discipline them, you know, if I make them eat their broccoli when they really want to eat donuts, they're not going to like me, and they're not going to care for that, so I'm just going to, I'm going to be their friend. I'm not going to discipline them. We're just going to, like, have free-range kids and grow up that way, but what the Stanley said was that if you discipline your kids now. Yeah, sure, they might not like you. If anybody's ever had a teenager and you have disciplined them, you know that there are moments when they do not like you and they do not appreciate it and they do not understand and they do not see it your way. But if you discipline your kids now, they might not like you now, but they will like you later. Hebrews even said that. We appreciate our fathers, our earthly father's discipline, right? Your kids may not like you now, but they will like you later. And guess what? Later is longer. Later is longer, church. Like playing the long game, thinking with the end in mind, fighting the temptation to play the short game, to, to give up. You play the long game, you're always going to be glad you did every single time. Short-term gratification looks good in the moment, but it never leads to the desired outcome. It never gives us what we truly want. It never actually satisfies. If you put in the work to drop the weight, you put in the work to kick the bad habit, you put in the work to restore that broken relationship, you will always be glad that you did in the end. What if 2020, what if 2020 is a season of discipline from your heavenly father, from the God who loves you? What if it's a season of discipline that's gonna provide you with an extremely wide margin of health and growth and personal development that you're never gonna find again in another season of your life? Like what if that's how this is designed? What if that's what God wants to accomplish in your life? If we will just have the wisdom and the foresight and the grit to embrace it and not to fight it. What if that's what God is speaking over us in this season? What if we stopped resenting the discipline? What if we stopped resenting the difficulty of this season? What if we stopped battling against it and we were willing to, to move on and to press, to press forward and to lean into what it is that God wants to teach us through all of this? Because challenge and adversity are the growth place, are the birthplace of growth and healthy change. Listen, human nature has proven time and time again that we're probably not ever gonna make some of the necessary changes that we need to unless we're forced into it, right? We can all, we can all testify to that. Some of the best things that have happened to me in my life have been things that I never would have done if I had a choice, but I was forced into it. Maybe because, probably because, definitely because God knew what was best for me and wanted what was best for me and knew the person that he wanted me to be and who he'd made me to be and the plans that he'd had for my life. And I needed the adversity to grow. I needed the adversity to change and to be, and to be stretched. So no pain, no gain, all right? Grace is our pace. No pain, no gain. And look at, look at Hebrews 12, 12 as we wrap up here. Some of you guys have heard this verse more than once in your life. It says, I love how the NLT says it. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and who are lame will not fall but become strong. Take a new, take a new grip 
with your weak hands. You know what? That, that, sounds a whole lot, that sounds a whole lot like grit to me. I didn't hear the word grit in there anywhere. But have you ever, you ever been holding on to something so tightly and you had to just change your grip so that you could hold on just, just a few seconds longer? On, on, uh, on Canada Day, I went, I went tubing with some of my friends, all right? And, uh, and uh, they will remain nameless, but they know who they are. And uh, I got on the a, on a, on a back of a tube, and even though they swore up and down that the plan was not to see me go flying off the tube, I knew that that was, that was the end goal here. But I did it anyway, all right? And I got on the tube, and like in that moment, when we were flying around there, and there were three huge dudes on it, me and two other big guys, and we were flying around and whipping around on this lake, and like, I was gripping that tube harder than I've gripped anything else in my entire life. Like, it felt like life or death in that moment. Like, the centrifugal force, like, everything inside of me just wanted to let go and release to it and just, like, you know, be, be sucked into some crazy abyss. But I held on. I was holding on so tight. And eventually we hit a big wave and we got flipped anyway and smashed into the water. And as soon as I came up and as soon as I, like, crawled up onto the boat and they gave me CPR and the whole deal, just kidding, no CPR. But as soon as I got out, like, my whole body just relaxed for the first time and I realized, you know, how tight I'd been gripping and how tight I'd been squeezing and my whole body was just feeling the effects of that, of the tenseness in that moment and, you know, maybe it's time to change, change our grip. Maybe it's time to stop holding so tightly to the things that we think are going to give us life, to the things that we think are going to matter, to the things that we think are going to save us and change our grip and strengthen our weak knees. Embrace the discipline and not despise it and believe that, man, maybe God has something more for me in this season. Because I know this, when we're weak, he's strong, church. When we're weak, he's strong. He's, his strength is proven in our weakness. God has never been more able or more capable or more willing to move on your behalf. He's never been fighting more on your behalf than he is right now in this season. I don't care about the 2020 memes. I don't care how crazy it is. I don't care how difficult you feel like your life is right now. I don't care how, how uh, worried and confused and anxious you are. Listen, I've been there too. A pastor in 2020 is not an unstressful profession. Let me tell you that right now because we'll be honest. We have no idea what to do or how to do this. We're just trusting God and trying to lean into what it is he has for us, right? But it doesn't matter how anxious we are. It doesn't matter how unsure we are. It doesn't matter about my talent or my ability. It doesn't matter about what you can offer. It matters what he's already done for you. It matters what he's already spoken over you. Maybe it's time to change our grip. Grace is our pace. No pain, no, no gain. And the last thing is that we need the grit not to quit. Like in this season, maybe you've been tempted just to throw your hands up and be like, you know what? I'm done. Call me. Call me when we can have church again. Call me when I can sit there and I can listen to a whole service and I can hug people and I can high-five people. But until then, like, I'm done. Jesus, take the wheel because I don't know what's going to happen, right? Like, do not check out in this season. Do not lean out in this season. Do not despise the discipline. If you do, you may miss the greatest work of God that you've ever had the opportunity to experience. Do not despise the discipline, church. Have the grit not to quit. Don't lean out, lean in, persevere, run the race with endurance. We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the champion of our faith. The NLT says, listen, in the city where I live here in St. John, there was a huge company that just laid off hundreds of people in this season. And it, it's, it's the worst. Like there's the, the 
people in our church family are affected by this. My, some of my friends lost, lost their jobs. And in a, in a, in a moment like that, in a, in a crisis like that, and some of your stories, no matter where you're at in the world, you felt the pressure of 2020 squeezing in. And in a moment like that, we've got to ask ourselves the question, like, how are we going to respond? Where do we place our hope? What do we hold to? What do we cling to? What do we grip to for our security? What are we clinging to so tightly, trying to achieve life, trying to achieve happiness, trying to achieve peace and contentment? Maybe it's time to change our grip. We've got to change our mental narrative from defeat to victory in this season. The enemy, the only person who's been defeated is the enemy, church. His plans are being thwarted. What he meant for evil, Jesus will use for good. Your father will use for good. His discipline in this season, his correction in this season is what you need. It's what I need. It's maybe what the church needs in this season. I don't think, I don't think the church, I don't think the church would have been ready for the revival that was coming if we didn't experience this season. I don't think we could have understood or grasped what it was that God has for us if we didn't have this season where we had to learn to depend on him and fully rely on him and internalize it for ourselves and not just depend on the pastor to do the legwork for us, but to lean in to who he is and who we are in him in this season. I don't think we could have been who he needed us to be without this. Maybe you can't be who he needs you to be without this. Do not despise the discipline church. Have the grit not to quit. This is not the time to throw in the towel. This is not the time to lay down and die. This is not the time to throw our hands up and walk away. It is time to rise up. It is time to get healthy and strong. It is time to embrace the correction, embrace the discipline, embrace the guidance of the Lord. Because Hebrews 12, 11 said, listen, it's painful while it's happening, but afterwards there's a peaceful harvest of right living. And you know what? Maybe it's time for the correction and discipline to begin to end and it's time for the season of peaceful harvest to begin to be ushered in. Jesus, we love you today. And God, we're just, we're just so thankful for how you provide for us. So thankful, so thankful for your discipline and your correction. God, help us to have the grit, the passion, the endurance, the perseverance in this season, God, not to run away, not to get scared, not to throw our hands up, not to throw in the towel, not to quit, but to lean into who you are. God, help us not to despise your discipline. Help us not to despise your correction and your guidance, Father. We're reminded that you're good. You said it right there in Hebrews, like your word says it explicitly, like if we're not being disciplined, we're not your children. So Father, we embrace the discipline. We embrace the teaching. We embrace what it is you have for us in this season. God, we don't, we don't roll over. We're not gonna die. We're gonna, we're gonna rise up. We wanna be stronger than ever before. We wanna be the people that you need us to be. We wanna be the church that you are calling us to be. We wanna experience the revival that we believe that you have for us. We wanna see the season of harvest and of peaceful and right living in the name of Jesus. We pray that and we declare that over the world, over the, our cities, over everyone who's watching right now, over every home, over every family that is hearing the sound of my voice right now. We just declare a peaceful season of right living, a peaceful season of harvest, a peaceful season of, of return. 
And God, may we be faithful. May we be faithful to not waver. May we have the grit, the passion, and the endurance not to quit, not to throw in the towel, not to lean away, not to give up on our spiritual passion, our spiritual fervor, but to lean into you like we never have before in this season. God, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're trustworthy. We thank you that we can depend on you. Thank you that you are more at work than you've ever been that you love us now as much as you ever have, that your church is as alive and active now as it's ever been. And in the name of Jesus, we pray and we declare that revival is coming, that there is new revelation coming, that there is new work to be done, Father, and that you are going to entrust it to us if we'll have the grit to embrace your discipline, if we'll have the grit to embrace what it is you're developing in us this season. So Father, we are yours. Make, make me a vessel. Make us a vessel in this season. Fill us to overflowing with your goodness. Fill us to overflowing with your spirit, Father. May the words of our lips be your words. May they carry truth and power everywhere we go, everything we may, our hands be your hands, Father. May they, may they, may they, may they declare healing and wholeness in our families, in our communities. God, may, may our feet be your feet. God, may they take us to where we're needed. Father, may they take us to where it is that you want to be. Father, where it is that you need to work. Father, we thank you that we are your plan A. We are your plan to reach the world in this season. So we don't shy away from it. We embrace it. Father, we walk wholeheartedly into the destiny that you have placed before us. We run with endurance, fixing our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, our champion, Jesus. We love you. We've got more hope in you than we've ever had. God, we thank you for this season. We thank you for the discipline. We thank you for the correction. May we not miss what it is you have for us in 2020. And we pray it in your name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.